Does everybody have a good day yesterday? <laughs> good. I'm tired. <laughs> so uh, let me pray that, uh, that God would meet with us today. Father, uh, we want to hear your voice, uh, your words, not, uh, not mine. Uh, as we look into uh, the word today, I pray that you would uh, do what you always do. Take it out and bring it back with a return, Father. May you be glorified in this message. Amen. So, satisfaction guaranteed. Um, it's kind of when an infomercial pops up on TV, at some point during their spiel, they're going to say that phrase. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. They're saying you will have it. And uh, that promise uh, is for whatever wonder product they're selling, uh, for whatever need it's designed for, whether it's a vacuum or a knife or a hammer or a shampoo, face cream, whatever they're selling, they, they're promising that this contraption or product will, will solve all your needs for only $29.95, three easy installments thereof. <laughs> but if you call within the next five minutes, they'll knock one of those payments off. So really, what a deal, right? And I should think that as it, I'm the kind of guy that does watch infomercials, especially I'm a sucker for the music ones because I'm like, oh, I like this music, and then I just go find it online. <laughs> but uh, the advertisers have a job, right? They've been hired to to do that, to sell their product, to uh, to get it out to us, and all they're trying to do is make a uh, have a money making venture. So. Uh, we know that when we buy it, it, it may meet uh, you know, our satisfaction, make us satisfied for a short time and until we lose some of the parts or the shampoo runs out or whatever gizmo we got has one big flash of electricity on the inside and then the black smoke of death and never comes back. So we're satisfied for just a little while. But what about something that actually lasts? What about something that that will ultimately satisfy us. Now, not to say we'll be perfectly happy every day or that it's easy, but ultimate satisfaction that we know we have, that we, it's there, and as time moves on, we can see it a little more clearly. So I don't want you, to, I know I brought up infomercials, but I don't want you to hear this sermon today as a sales pitch because um, it's, not, it's not a timeshare presentation, don't worry. I'm not going to have you sign up for something in the back, necessarily. Um, but what I do want to look at today is an encounter that Jesus had with his disciples, uh, talking about satisfaction. And it's interesting because this specific interaction, this encounter, actually happens within an encounter. So, encounterception, for, for those who care. Right? So, uh, what, a month ago, Trevor Claudson preached about uh, Jesus in his meeting with the uh, Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And we're actually going to pick up that story, because where he left off uh, was when Jesus said, you know, the, the, the lady uh, said, we're waiting for the Messiah, because we know that he'll, he'll reveal all things, he'll let us know what's going on when he shows up. And Jesus says, I am that man. He says to her, I am the Messiah. And so this is where we're picking it up. 
John 4, 27 through 42. Um, before I read it, if you want to pull out the note sheet, you can do it that way or um, on the screen or the Bible in front of you. Or just listen. That is an option as well. Starting at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away to the town, into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans come to him, uh, came to him rather, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. For the, uh, the fine details of, of how uh, Jews and Samaritans got along or didn't get along, I think uh, Trevor did a, a wonderful job of explaining that. Uh, but to reiterate, they don't. They, oil and water on this one. They, there's just no association uh, and even a person-to-person conversation between male and females in that culture, that's a, that doesn't happen either. So when the disciples show up, you can imagine they're fairly dumbfounded at what they're seeing. They're seeing their teacher talking with a woman alone at a well, and no one says anything at all. And it's not just a woman, it's a Samaritan woman. So it's like, one, two, three strikes. Jesus, what are you doing? But they they clam up. They're so shocked they don't say anything. So eventually she goes away to tell townspeople, and they're begging him, you've got to eat something, Jesus. We we went to this town to get food. Mind you, it was a Samaritan town, so you know we really had to put ourselves out there. This is Dan Abbott's interpretation. <laughs> to get this food, you've got to eat something. He's like, And I have food, you don't even you don't even understand. I have food. And they're like, What? Who went and got him food? We, we, did, did you do it? No, man, I was with you, remember? Oh, yeah. So they come back, and, and Jesus has to elaborate, much like he did with 
the woman when he asked for a drink of water. And they have that interaction. Same here. They have an interaction. Jesus is talking about more than just the physical food that they brought. And he explains to them it's to do the will of, well, the will of God as Father and accomplish all that he had. We'll, we'll talk on that a little bit. So he talks on all that. And, and while they're talking about this, the Samaritan welcome wagon is coming down the road. You're seeing it. Uh, because of the woman's testimony, they wanted to talk to Jesus. So they talk to Jesus. Uh, they're, they're impressed. They want him to stay two days. So they, he stays two days, and they believe, and then this, this amazingly profound truth comes out, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is what they, they conclude. Not just because of what the woman said, but because they spoke with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And I, if you're visiting, I know you're coming to a church, and you're expecting to hear someone say that. But it is true. And even if you come here all the time, we still need to hear that. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And this is why I don't want it to be a sales pitch. Because I, I don't want to be standing up here and, and sell you Jesus or anything like that. But what I do want to do is, is proclaim truth. That is truth. And because that is true, uh, this is here as well. Knowing that, knowing Jesus is the Savior of the world, can bring ultimate satisfaction. It brings ultimate satisfaction. But not just the knowing of it, but the holding fast to it, the grasping the keeping it in your heart so much that it affects your entire life, what you say, how you act, all these things. I love, uh, this isn't in my notes or anything, but I love that we sang America the Beautiful because I, one of my points here in, in this is just say that Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just Philida, not just Vancouver, not our neck of Clark County, the state of Washington, or even the country, the world. Does that blow your mind? It should, because I've been just racking on it. So, we have Jesus here, and we're getting to the meat of the sermon now. So, how does knowing Christ as Savior actually bring ultimate satisfaction? Uh, We are going to look at three different ways that that happens. Uh, that it can, it's, they're a little bit out of order from what you think. Hey, this is a logical flow, but work with me. You've got to work with me on it. Jesus says that uh, his food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So I'm quoting there. And then, uh, this is where I had to put a lot of thought and time and ask the guys in the preaching group about, hey, doesn't that seem just, Jesus is talking about, I have food you don't know about. By the way, the, you say the harvest is coming in four months. And you're like, wait, what? A little bit of a, a bridge gap there, but he talks about it. He says, you say it comes in four months. I'm telling you, look up. It is here. The time for harvest is now. So, knowing Christ as Savior in the world begins, uh, brings ultimate satisfaction, pardon me, because, this is where it's a little out of order, sowing allows me to hope for what Christ will do. 
Sowing allows me to hope for what Christ will do. Jesus tells the disciples uh, the harvest is uh, here and it's, it's not what they have sown. <clears throat> he could be referring here to a couple different things. Either he's referring to the interaction he just had with the woman and a planting of that seed. Or he could be talking about the, uh, the Old Testament as we know it, uh, the scriptures as they would have had them with what the prophets had talked about with Messiah, with all these things. Uh, the Samaritan woman left with this hope, right, uh, that was sown by either Jesus or the prophets, probably both, um, to proclaim. It, it's also similar to what the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3.6, uh, where he says, I planted Apollos water, God caused it to grow. That's kind of evident here. We can, so, so bring it to us. We can scatter gospel seed uh, by how we live our lives, by the interactions that we have. Uh, people are going to see some type of message uh, in our lives uh, if we are Christians. Uh, it's either going to be good or bad, but seed is getting scattered. And we have no idea how that seed that is planted is going to be used by God. Thinking on that, if he is referring to the, the prophets of the Old Testament, think about that. Isaiah lived hundreds of years before Christ was, was born. Uh, many, many, other, many of the other prophecies as well, but they never saw the Messiah. The, the closest one, and I think we can put John the Baptist in the, in the group of prophets of the Old Testament. I think he's the last one because he's the one that shows up right before the Messiah. Not even he got to see the full work of what Jesus was doing to redeem us. But that never stopped him from pointing Jesus out, saying, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's this idea that we sow. We sow. We have conversations. We treat people with love because we are commanded to and because we want to. And we don't know how Christ will use that. Moving on to number two there. So how else does uh, knowing that Jesus is the Savior of the world bring ultimate satisfaction? Well, if there is sowing, then there is going to be some reaping. Knowing that Jesus is Savior of the world brings ultimate satisfaction because reaping, this is a fun part, I think, reaping allows me to participate in what Christ is doing. Look, on, look back on the text, if, if you would. Uh, what does he say to his disciples? Four months more, and then the harvest. And Jesus says, it's, it's here now. It's coming at you. Uh, not necessarily a literal harvest, but definitely a spiritual one. Uh, this actually, in reading this, reminded me, or called to mind, I should say, uh, in my backyard, I have some raspberry bushes. They exist there. They're kind of in between some long grass and blackberries that have gotten in there as well. But they do exist. Uh, my wife can attest to this. And uh, we didn't put them there. They were there when we bought the house. 
Um, but what's great is every year, the raspberries show up. It's great. And I, if we want them, all we have to do is go out and pick them. And then we can eat them, and they're delicious. Likewise, maybe someone down the road, or uh, in the past, shared Christ with someone. Maybe they, weren't, they didn't see their need. But here we are now, right? You're their friend, you're talking to them, and they, they have questions. They, they, are, they are there. They are ready to talk about, I, I can't do this anymore. I need some, something's got to change. So this is why I say reaping is the fun part. Because you get to be, you're, you're on the front lines, of seeing how Christ is redeeming someone to himself. Jesus calls us to have a proactive view on, on the world, not to sit back, but to actually look. So rather than seeing a bunch of evil doom around us in, in the world news, we see opportunities to reach other people to help them know and embrace the God who loves them and who made them. It's a satisfaction of seeing that flower bloom, that fruit produced, just in that life. Uh, And in that, we might actually even get to hear how God worked in that person's life. So going back to our story here, picture, picture the disciples around Jesus. Right? It said, meanwhile, so the woman's gone. Meanwhile, Jesus is having this conversation. And he says that the fields are white towards harvest. What's happening at this point in the story, I, I think we can fairly say that the disciples could look up and see the town coming towards them. I don't, I don't know how big of a crowd that may have been. That could have been huge. could have been small. Either way. Jesus is, Jesus is telling them, hey, look, other people did the hard work. Now you get to join in that labor. You get to, to reap the benefits of that. They get to share the joy of the sower. So someone over here hoped that something would happen. Someone here gets to see that hope fulfilled. And this is where I think some rubber hits the road as well. Because we see potentially the struggle that these disciples would have. Because these people that were coming towards them were Samaritans. As Jews, they would have just grown up in a culture that said we need to, we're separate from these people. We don't talk to these people. It's promoted. In that moment, and this is... I don't know if you've ever been in that type of moment. In that moment, you have to deal with some stuff about how you feel on things. They would have to deal with how they feel about Samaritans right then. And if they didn't work through it there, like we're just reading through the story, it's like, oh, and he stayed two days. That's 48 hours of, man, my whole life I've been told that these people are 
which is kind of, they're half Jewish and they don't have it and the salvation isn't for them and now I'm hearing that it is and th- this, this woman believes that Jesus is the Christ. I think I believe Jesus is the Christ. This is, this is crazy. I, do I want them to be a part of that? And they have to struggle with this. They have to wrestle with this. I hope you can see how this relates to, to us today. Or even just narrowing it down from the us idea, bringing it to how does that relate to me, or in your case, you? How does that relate to me? What, what do I have to do? As I'm looking out, do I, do I only ever see people who rebel against God? whether it's outright defiance to him or just indifference or painting a picture that that isn't true of God, calling him a liar? Or do do I see desperate people looking for some type of answer in life? They, they know something's off, they know something's wrong, but they just can't, they, they don't know how to express it. Are we seeing that? Am I willing to be a person that God would use to draw them to himself? There is, there is immense joy in this and actually being with a person who is coming to the realization that, holy cow, Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is great. I mean, think, I can't even, for those disciples, I hope they got it. I really, I, I assume they did. Eventually they did. But um, to see a whole town come to know that Christ is, or Jesus is the Christ, and he is their Savior, and the world's Savior, John uses this analogy throughout his entire book, showing the, uh, what do you want to call it? Just, Christ is global. It's not Israel only, or Samaria only, or Judea, or the Middle East. It's the world. And, and they state this. Especially after seeing a seed that was planted a long time ago come to fruition like that. So we've talked reaping, we've talked sowing, And on to the third then. How does knowing Christ as Savior of the world bring ultimate satisfaction? And this one, like I said, this is where it may be a little bit out of order, but we could put it first. I chose last because it's a pretty weighty answer here. It brings ultimate satisfaction because I can choose to let Jesus be my Savior. And again, this is where I don't want it to sound like a sales pitch. In a very real sense, in a very real sense, we have to grasp this reality that Jesus is our Savior. Saying he's Savior of the world is good, it's true, it's kind of general. But, if 
you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you need to have one. You need to have some sort of relationship with Jesus. If you, if you don't know him or you're, you're not a, a Christian in that way, right? May I encourage you to come and see Jesus. Let me be like the woman at the well and you guys, the townsfolk. Let me come to you and let me tell you that I know a man who knows everything I've ever done. And he, he told it to me. He, he allows me to feel that. His death and his resurrection allow me ultimate satisfaction in knowing that the rift that I created between God and myself through sin is mended. That I can be in right relationship with God. That's a savior. That is a savior. Come and see Jesus. Beg that he would stay and talk with you. In, in, in this sense, for us, this would be meeting with your... Well, you're here. That's a good step in the church. You're hearing truth proclaimed. But also, if you came with a friend talking to them, hey, what does this all mean with Jesus being Savior? I, I want to know him better. What kind of stuff did he do um, that showed us that? I'd love for you to come to that same conclusion and, and then turn it and say, I, I want Jesus to be my Savior. And mean it. Meet with him and see that he is good. And if you already are one who believes that Jesus is Savior, this is still a choice for us. I know I personally struggle with, the, uh, with waking up and wanting to do it my way. Of, you know, I need to, I need to right those wrongs that I did. Somehow, I'll, God, I'll get it worked out. I'll atone for it. We'll, uh, we'll get it squared away. We'll make sure that everybody knows what's going on. And, and God, it's, it's cool. You, you can sit this one out. You don't need to save me in this situation. But it's still a choice, and I still need a Savior. And He is always there. And there, there are other ways that we can encourage each other. I mean, here we have small groups. We have Bible Explorer groups. Uh, you need to be in a group. Here, I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. You even need to be in a, hey, you guys want to go get some coffee after this group? Meet with believers. Encourage one another. Have that opportunity to say, man, I had a week. Whether it was a good week or a bad week. Encourage one another. And this is where I will do a shameless plug. Um, our church has been hosting Heart Change for, what, a year and a half-ish? For a while. We'll say it that way. For a while. I went through in January, and we've had a couple more since then. I know there's one coming in August, and there's one really soon, July 15th through the 18th. I'm just going to demystify some of, like, some people may, oh, what's this Heart Change thing? I see it. It, is, it seems strange. This is what it is. It lets you know what the Father's heart is for you and what a proper response is. It, it calls us to something. This isn't something just for a non-believer to go to. This is something for uh, a current center or a reform center or whatever you want to go It's something for a person to go to and, and find out just 
how, how to deal, how to live life. It's meeting with Jesus for four days. I will say that. You meet Jesus. Whether you, you want to or not, Jesus is going to show up. And uh, he, he does some, some great stuff. So I would encourage you, if that, if that is something, I want to build, I want to deepen my relationship with Christ. I want to deepen my relationship with the church. I would say, uh, talk to Ian or Mac. They'll tell, or heck, talk to me. <laughs> I, can, I can point you to the site. Uh, but I really do encourage people to go through this because it is, there's a bunch of one another's in the Bible, and you can't do that by yourself. And it, this shows you how to. What, that, what does that look like? So there's my shameless plug. That's why I said you could sign up for something later if you wanted. Um, but the ultimate thing is it's about Jesus. Jesus really is the Savior of the world. I know as, as you've been going through, I've had you fill it out twice already. That uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world, so I don't know if, you, if you're like, man, what, Dan, what are you trying to say today? I wish you would just spell it for me. I could, but I'm not going to, so I'll just say it. Here it is. Last blank. You have all the, all the words already on your page. You just got to put them in. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and this brings ultimate satisfaction. Not because of anything, I'm going to add to this, not because of anything that we've done, but everything that he's done. He, uh, he brings us in right relationship with the Father. And, and my prayer is that we do have that same response and not just keep Jesus in a box, but Jesus is the Savior of the world. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, you have worked mightily. You... You sent your son to be a man, to live on earth with us, to experience everything that we experience. You worked out so that he would be a sacrifice to, to make us right with you. <laughs> he conquered death. That is amazing. And we do not need to fear anything about death if we place our hope in him because he has conquered it, Father. I ask that you would just shake our hearts, massage our hearts, soften them. Bring us to a place that we can know that you are for us, that you want our ultimate good and to see our ultimate satisfaction. So I pray that you would just move here with your spirit. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.